it was a parade for which the fulfillment of everything that you could ever expect or want was in one man. And it's described that the streets were just filled with people applauding and so excited that Jesus was entering in. The anticipation, the expectation was they were standing there clapping, they were singing Hosanna as we were singing just a little bit ago, and, and we, they were throwing their jackets down on his path so that as he was coming in, he wouldn't even have to trot upon the dirt. They went and ripped all the branches off the trees, and they were throwing down the palm branches, which basically was saying, victorious one. Victory is ours. We won. He was riding in on a donkey, a donkey which represents peace because he was the prince of peace. He came in. And though they were celebrating, I feel like they were maybe celebrating a little bit um, with some misunderstandings. There were some expectations that they had upon God that weren't necessarily what he had anticipated fulfilling. And just like you and I, I know I've traveled through that before where I've had expectations of God, and I said, all right, God, here's my request to you. You said, make my request known. I believe. And things didn't turn out the way that I had hoped. Well, their expectation was we've been oppressed. We've, we've had all these hardships for so long, here comes our earthly king, and he's going to rule, and he's going to have this rod, and he's going to beat everybody into shape, and everything's going to be wonderful here on earth. Can you imagine the quandary that they were in? As the week progressed, like, here was this anticipation, we're, we're, we're throwing this party, this parade of one, yeah, here comes our king, and now he's going to court, now he's being beaten? Now he's carrying that cross? He's dead? We just had a party. My, my jacket's all dirty. We have no more shade in the city because we ripped all the branches off and we were celebrating a victory. There's some misconceptions about what God's plan was and what he desired and his design. As I think through that and I think through us, me, as I think through my misperceptions and misconceptions, and I challenge us all to say, okay, God, and I absolutely love, 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 if you know me at all, I love the series that Robert is doing just to get us and go and share the gospel message, the good news that we have that Jesus Christ is the answer, the fulfillment of everything that we could ever hope for is found in him. But I do believe we have misconceptions. We have our way, and God has his. Um, as, as we're getting ready to, to look, and I'm going to continue to push, um, and, and Jim, I, I was so excited to hear, hear your segue, and, and Renee, yours, and, and not that everybody wasn't wonderful, but, but the, the two of you, you, you met an emotional need of, of somebody, and, and you went and showed mercy to somebody who, for all practical purposes, you know, the rest of us might have went, oh, boo you, you know, 
Um, Philippians 2, verse 5, basically teaches us that we are to go and do as Christ did. And as you see here, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So to put on the mind of Christ, that, that we would do as he does. And, and if you've read through scriptures before, you realize the scriptures that then follow, and, and you can scroll through at your, your leisure here, but it basically it goes through and it says, here's the way he did it. Ultimately, it ended that he gave himself so freely that he died. He died on a cross. Well, I asked this question to, to the students, you know, that I was like, okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we do a little study? Let's look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm still missing Mark, by the way, if you're in the room. Thank you. Um, let's look at the Gospels, and let's go back, and let's look at everything that Jesus said. Let's watch everything that Jesus did, and let's categorize them in one of three ways. Was he trying to encourage the disciples, the brethren, trying to build them up, encourage them, push them along the way? Was he trying to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus? I mean, for, for the Lord, to, to redemption? Or was it a kind of a hybrid between the two? Maybe he was modeling a behavior, Maybe he was trying to lead a lost and dying world to, him, to, to his father when the reality was his disciples were right there, so that he was modeling that. I'm just going to read you the numbers, and please realize these are fallible humans that came up with these, and, and there may be plus or minus 3, 4, 5, 6%. I don't know. But here's what I'm wanting to see. What was Jesus doing? What was noteworthy that it was written down in one of the Gospels? And then let's go and do likewise. So here's what we discovered. In the book of Matthew, 50% of what Jesus said and did was to encourage the disciples. It's great to gather together. It's great to come in. It's great to have this type of conversation. It's great to go in small group and dive into the Word and dig and, and hold each other accountable. That was a lot of what Jesus did. It has great, great, great value. 31% of what he did and what he said was outside of the walls of the brethren. It was to, to go reach a world that doesn't have any clue. They're lost as lost can be. That leaves 19%, according to Matthew, that was kind of both. Okay, so you can see, obviously, it is important to him what we're doing here. Luke 54% encouraging disciples, lost world 22%, both 24%. He was a smart guy. I mean, numbers are going to be different. John, he's all about some love. 41% was about encouraging the disciples. He has an increase of 35%. I wasn't shocked. 35% was to reach a lost and dying world. He's all about some love. 24% was both. All of that to just bring to our awareness. What about me? What about me? Am I encouraging disciples? Am I out reaching a lost and dying world? Am I trying to be a part of God's kingdom's work? Which brings me to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I just want to add to my two cents for whatever it's worth. Probably maybe one cent. 
Micah says this, and I believe we can marry this to the gospel message. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In NIV, it says to act justly. In the New Living Translation, it says to to act right or right living, to do the right thing, being moral, being fair. I did a Google search. I don't know if you ever do Google searches. I did a Google search for videos, and here's what I asked for, fighting injustice. Here's our society. Here's what shows up when you Google fighting injustice. The majority of them are about a video game. Any of the students know the game? I'm just curious if y'all played it. Um, Injustice, God's among us. What comes up as a video game? When When you Google a video, fighting injustice, instead of it being littered with stories about the church, the body, going out and fighting against injustice, here's what you see the most of the time. Injustice, God's among us, plural, Instead of what I would hope that I was going to get was it was going to be littered with videos about fighting injustice because God is among us. Like, why would I not? Why would I not go fight for injustice or against it? Matter of fact, Matthew twenty-five forty. says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He is among us. He is here. He longs for us to be filled with justice, to do what's right. Remember, church, the world knows everything that we're against because we, we hold our banners high. We protest very well. But it's not what we're necessarily against. What are we for? Who are we going to fill a gap for? Who is that person for you? Here's the part where I'm going to segue. My wife is going to shoot me. (laughs) My, My hero. My hero is my wife. She is, she is my hero for justice. Now, I'm not saying that other people in this room don't fight for justice as well. I'm obviously very close to her. And we've had many conversations. It's not who you're against. It's who you're for. Um, my wife and, and myself, we're not against the superintendent. We pray for her. We're not against the board. We pray for them, but we're for something. There was a decision that was made. I'm just going to give you a nutshell. It's called clustering. They're trying to move a lot of the special needs kids around um, to put them in different schools, this program here, this program here, this program here. I'm not a special education teacher. I don't work with special education students. I don't know the effects that it's going to have, but I know somebody who does, and that's my wife. I love you, Ray. 
I, I want to show a video of how passionate she is about justice. I love you, Rachel. <laughs> you just have to get an app, and then from the app, you can grab the video. So we're ready. The mildly intellectually disabled teacher there. And um, this morning, my administrator met with me and informed me that I was going to um, either have to go to Luella or possibly have an opportunity at Ola, but I had to choose between my Ola family and my students. I opened Ola. I was there the very first day that it opened. Um, and all I could do was cry because all I can do is picture my students' faces because it's about them. And I hear you say that you did an investigation and you talked to parents, but obviously you didn't talk to enough parents. And my question is, did you think to ask the professionals, the teachers who teach these students who know them? We know our students, we're, we're so passionate about what we do. We know them. We know that this that you set before them is way too difficult of a task for them to handle. And especially in such a short period of time, it's, um, it's just so unfortunate if you could get into these classrooms and actually interact and see what these students do. And to walk with them down the hallway of Ola High where everybody knows their name. And the administrators know their names. They're involved in extracurricular activities. How am I going to tell my student who is on the football team, the varsity football team, that you're a senior but you're going to Luella next year and you're not going to be on the football team? Or my Mighty Mustangs, you're not going to be a Mighty Mustang because you have to now go to Luella, even though you've grown up with all of these kids, you know every, you, just the Partners Club and everything, there's so many pieces of this puzzle that I'm afraid, that I fear that you guys haven't thought about. These kids are a part of a community. Every child is a part of a different community already, and you can't just uproot them and make them in a part of another community. Would you do that to a general ed student? <laughs> My students are a part of the Ola community, and they have been. It's as if I... I fear that you guys feel like they're puzzle pieces or chess pieces, like you've dehumanized them into just pieces that you can move around on a, on a, on a board game. I mean, it's, it's so, I, have, I just really don't even have all the words to say. I'm just so passionate about being an advocate for these kids, and um, it just breaks my heart that, that no professional was asked, what should we do? Is this wise? Is this unwise? And um, because all the teachers are just in a state of shock right now. 
we don't know what to do. So, and so are their parents, of course. So, thank you. I'm not telling you what to be passionate about, but I am going to tell you this. There are people out there that can't defend themselves. They can't, they, they feel isolated, alone. They haven't done anything wrong, and they need us, believers, to act justly on their behalf. I'm just telling you why she's my hero. Here, here's why she's my hero. You ready? Because I'm slow to speak, I'm quick to listen, I'm very calculated. I sit there and I think, 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 think. In case you didn't know who she's talking to, she's talking to the Board of Education. She's talking to the school superintendent, who is her boss's 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 boss. There's like 70 people to get to her. Kidding. Um, her job? I don't know. She didn't care. Why didn't she care? Justice. Doesn't matter. That's what we should be about. Micah 6.8 says to be about justice. Stand in the gap for people who can't. Go join them. You want to talk about preaching the gospel? You want to talk about being able to speak the gospel to somebody? I laid it out there for you. Heck yeah, I don't care. So much easier than just the words are our actions, which gives strength to our words. Act justly. Show mercy. Mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness to someone that it is within your right to, to, to have power over them so that you can either punish them or harm them. So even when they've done something wrong. Now to act justly, that's completely different, but to show mercy, this person's like in the wrong and maybe deservingly getting what they're getting. To show mercy is what we need to be doing. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus his life intersected the adulterous woman. She's certainly in the wrong. She's certainly chosen to do something that deserves hell, as we all have. And at this point, you have the, the spiritual elite, those that know all the laws, certainly better than most of us in this room. They know all the laws, and they're coming in. And I don't know if you've ever been spiritually bullied where somebody's really pointing out all your mistakes. I know I've, I've felt it before. Well, that's, that's what was going on here. So they throw her down on the ground. Verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Where was the man? Why didn't they bring him, I wonder? And placing her in the, in the midst. Keep going. 
as we start reading, I want to notice Jesus' posture with this person who did wrong. Jim, this is, this is what I was segueing to you, is, is notice the posture of Jesus. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger. He wrote in the dust is, is what the NIV says. I don't know, the New Living Translation says. And it also says he stooped down. So he got down on her level where she was because they pretty much just tossed her on the ground. His posture was he went down to where she was and started writing. Gosh, I really wished I could, like, see that video of all he was writing. I really wished I could. Like, my mind just races with what was that all about. Continuing on. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood stood up, okay, once again, notice posture, he stood up as in to defend her, he stood up to get between the accuser and the one who's being accused, and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, go ahead, and once more, got back down, he bent down and wrote on the ground, got dirty again. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I can hear the stones hitting the ground, you know? If Jesus wouldn't have interceded right there, she would have lost her life. Deservingly? We can argue that. Yeah, sure. We can argue that all day. She really messed up. She messed up bad. But notice that Jesus still stood in there for her. But notice, in just a second, you're going to see he didn't disqualify she was wrong. Okay? She was wrong, and he, he, you'll notice. Beginning with the older ones, and Jesus left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So, yes, he knows. He knows she's messed up. But he was showing mercy. He went on her behalf. She was being spiritually bullied by all these people. You see, any time that Jesus interceded with sin, it was completely different than a lot of religious people. A lot of religious people, they're all about condemnation. Jesus, he still had intersections with sin, but it was all about redemption. He wanted to intercede to point the person in the right direction. And I think we should be doing the same. Matter of fact, as, as I sit there and I think about this, Cody, I saw you earlier. Are you in here? Oh, hey, Cody. How are you? Cody's getting married, right? Next Saturday. I, uh, I have the privilege and the honor to be a part of, of his and Chandler's wedding this coming up Saturday. Um, we're going to go through Ephesians 5, give you a little heads up in the, in the service. Uh, it talks about 
husbands and wives. But it also makes an analogy here. And so I, I want you to, to go back and look at John 8 again a little bit later on. But I want you to put this mindset on. I believe there was a real woman that really got thrown to the ground who was really about to get stoned and Jesus really interceded. But I want to step back just a second and let's look at some symbolism here. We are told that Christ is the groom and the church is his bride. Go reread it and picture Greg, the bride of Christ. You, the bride of Christ, who, who came to him and said, Lord, I give you my life. You're my number one. You are the Lord of my life. You're not just my Savior. I just didn't get fire insurance, but you're the Lord of my life. You're my number one. And then we go and we chase after all these other gods. We're actually very adulterous as well. When we put anything above God, we too are adulterous. Deserving. Deserving to be the ones being stoned because of our behaviors. And you can certainly know that even though I'm not seeing the Pharisees around me all the time, I can promise you the accuser, Satan, is going, look, God, see, told you, doesn't he deserve to die? And once again, I see Jesus coming over. I see Jesus standing up for me saying, nope, 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 nope. We're all good here. All right, Greg, pat me on the butt. Come on, sin no more. Come on, get on the right path. This is the behavior that he modeled for me in John 8? How strong is that gospel message? That we would go into a world, trust me, they need salvation. But go with the mindset of, I am the woman. I am the woman. That's going to make Micah 6, 8, the last part, when it says for us to walk humbly, guess what? There's no self-righteousness in a guy that realizes, I am that lady laying there in the dirt. I can't walk at you and say, I'm better than you, when I realize that's me. So as we go and we intercede and we, 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 we look for ways of, of being somebody to, to show justice for somebody who cannot fight for themselves, that we're looking, dear Lord, please show me a way that I can intercede on somebody's behalf for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, please show me somebody who I can show mercy to so that I can show them and point them to you. But even when I'm doing this, help me not to be prideful. I, I refer to the screw tape letters quite often. I remember so much that eventually Wormwood and screw tape, their, their tactics changed whenever they realized that they weren't going to make this guy stumble anymore. They started focusing on trying to make that person feel self-righteous. Micah 6.8 tells us to walk humbly, modest, meek, not puffed up with pride or self-righteousness. As we come to conclusion, 
I love Robert's push for us to be missional. I want to add to it. As we go with our tracks in our hands, as we go with the words of our mouths, may they be partnered with and married with our actions. That we're not just whispering words of truth, but we're showing truth. Those two work hand in hand. That we go fight for those who need fighting for. That we go get dirty and right in the sand and stoop down and and say, hey, come on, I'm going to help you out. Sin no more. Be the gospel. Meet needs. Physical. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's chores. Maybe helping somebody cut the grass. Students, maybe if your student pastor hurt his left arm ice skating, you can help him. Emotional. Renee, emotional. Be an ear. Show love. Show grace when people need it. You want to talk a place about a place where you can go really ministers, hospitals, funerals? Good places for that. But marry it with the spiritual side of go sin no more. Go sin no more. Homework assignments certainly continue to share the gospel, but start asking God, like Saul when the scales fell from his eyes, plead with God that he would show you these circumstances that you could run to and be less like Greg, be more like my wife, that you would run to on behalf of somebody else rather than rationalize, well, if I did that, God, help me to see the way that you see that I can be the gospel regardless of consequences, regardless of what anybody might say or think about me. May I be the gospel. May I be just and show mercy and walk humbly the truths that you've laid before me. Let's pray.